This was brought to you by Franklin County Internet Gaming Society on YouTube and Facebook. The soul. Beneath the trappings and props of a person. Beneath the gross elements of appearance and physicality. And beneath the subtler elements of beliefs, attitudes, and memories lies the kernel of an individual that is the central stitch in his pattern. Around that, the rest of his being accrues. The secret, sacred core is the soul. Among Academically inclined mages, few topics have been the subject of as much mystical exploration and discussion as the soul and its impact on being. And yet, no one has been able to explain it in any but the vaguest terms. What is commonly known is that the soul is the vital element of a person's being. It is that ineffable portion of a person that is responsible for her liveliness. Virtual vitality, curiosity, sense of wonder and connection to the world. It is also the person portion of a person responsible for the use of magic. The clearest way to see what the soul does for a person is to remove it. A person who has lost her soul still retains her identity, memories, and personality. She lacks vigor, vitality, and conviction. In the absence of the soul, the soulless one slowly loses her empathy for both herself and her fellows and becomes entirely inert in both the pain and joy of others. No loss can compare to the loss of one's soul. The horror of watching yourself or someone close to you slowly degenerate into the husk of a human being is incalculable. Souls that have been severed are rarely gained. Most are devoured or traded back and forth between spirits as delicacies or commodities. Mages versed in the ways of spirit can take down a lost soul and reconnect it to a body. There are too few such will workers to prevent the core, to prevent and cure all cases. The mage who loses his soul immediately enters sleep until it is restored. His ability to perform magic is gone. If the mage somehow gets his soul back, he needs a full night's sleep to allow his soul to reseat itself before he can use magic again. The Lore of the Soul
Some knowledge of the soul is relatively common, although not necessarily available to every mage. The prevailing theory among the orders inherited from Atlantean lore is that the soul is the supernal spark of the person's being, and thus supposedly immortal. Since it is from the supernal world, there is much that cannot be known, but it to those in the fallen world, about it to those in this fallen world. It is a mystery, eluding the attempts of the wise to encompass it with any single theory. The soul is subtle enough that it is relatively hard to affect, making those few entities capable of tampering with it particularly frightening and reviled. The Premier liches are among this number, as are a handful of powerful spirits who, whose function in the world is to tend to souls. Most such spirits perform their duties properly. There are some, however, who have grown corrupt and no longer perform their obligations as they were charged. In the grand scheme of things, a mage is less likely to lose her soul to a random spiritual predator than she is to bargain it away. Uh, certain evil spirits are known to promise all manner of services and power in exchange for the souls they co covet. This said, most souls are not worth much, and spirits or demons are not likely to offer that much for them. Souls are valuable to whatever degree they are hard to come by. Corrupt souls are a dime a dozen, only a particular noble soul, for that of a powerful mage is really worth the kind of effort on the part of a demon that the old tales recount. The Quiescence The sleeping curse is an affliction of the soul. Mages believe the cause to be the abyss, the void between the fallen and the supernal world. This veil of nothingness, this place of unmaking, dampens the soul spark of being within the fallen world, cutting them off from their source in the supernal world realm. In a sense, the abyss cuts off the oxygen that the fire of the soul needs to stay alive. It never completely diminishes the spark, but it quells it enough to keep most mortals of, from realizing the true nature of reality. 
Instead, they believed the lie, the falsehoods shown to them by the quiescence of their souls. The quiescence is even more pernicious, however, in that it actively seeks to keep sleepers from awakening. Any hint of the supernal world is resisted. The very sight of sensation of magic causes the sleeper's soul to flinch and the abyss to stir. Many enlightened believe that the sleeping soul has a certain magical sympathy with the abyss similar to how awakened souls has a sympathy with the supernal realm. For the sleeper, this is not a formal intuition, an initiation, but a result of their own soul's unconscious desperation to return to the supernal. They hover near the abyss, savoring the far shores on the other side, but have not the strength to attempt to cross it unless they awaken. There are a few mortals whose souls have stirred just enough to rise above the quiescence, but not enough to be called awake. They have not heard the call of the watchtower and remain ignorant about magic and the truth behind reality unless it is taught to them. These half-aware mortals are called sleepwalkers or sometimes lucid dreamers. None can say just what causes some souls to walk in their sleep, although mages prize such individuals. Will walkers or will workers often recruit them as assistants and acolytes. People who can work within the sleeping world without attracting the attention of entities who are drawn to the awakened. Some mages even try to create families with sleepwalkers in hopes that the odds of their progeny awakening are higher than most. It is rumored that mystical orders like the Guardians of the Veil conduct breeding programs to encourage magical bloodlines and destinies of the awakened. <clears throat> Paradoxes Magic is the act of drawing down supernal reality into the fallen world. The changing and changing the mundane world by dint of higher laws which hold precedence over lower laws. This is not the, a mechanical and efficient process. It's an art made challenging by a major's degree of supernal understanding. The mistakes and mistakes occur. Therein lies the iron. The more a mage knows the supernal, the less she heeds the fallen world's precedence. 
and the more likely it is that she'll impose the higher upon the lower too forcefully. Doing so can cause a break or rent in the fabric of reality, a hitch in the tapestry. This flaw of unreality is called the paradox. Mages believe that such flaws or holes in the tapestry are filled immediately by the abyss. By its attempt to mold itself into reality are a mockery expressed through twisted, catastrophic phenomena from out-of-control spells to a spellcaster, bout of dementia, to an alteration of reality itself, to the malformation of the mage, to the manifestation of an abyssal creature. A paradox is the punishment a mage suffers from misuse of magic. The chance of a paradox occurring increases dramatically whenever sleepers witness an obvious or even improbable act of magic. Their souls recoil and the abyss stirs in response. If their exposure is prolonged, their very disbelief can unravel spells, like a mage bursts in dispelling magic. Very few spells can withstand the long-term scrutiny of a sleeping soul. Its threads fray and are soon unwoven. The things of the lower world taint the things of the higher world and poison their elements. For this reason, mages avoid casting spells before unenlightened eyes. It is considered a crime to work the art before sleepers and a high crime to speak of the mysteries to them, lest supernal wisdom become tainted by abyssal sympathy. The Awakened Once the soul awakens, a person can never truly be part of normal life again. His friends and relatives are still trapped in sleep, unable to understand what he's going through no matter how hard they try. He can change reality with force of will, for he knows the truth behind the lie and can contact the higher world that is closed and unknown to those he loves. It's Little wonder that mages retreat into their own underground world of occult secrets. To this known in to those known in life before the mage seems to withdraw into solitude or hangs out with a new group of friends that he never introduces to his old ones. He never calls anyone 
or comes over for beer. He drops out uh, of their lives and is soon forgotten. He enters a new world, one fraught with the kind of socio-political snipping one would expect more from politics than mysticism. Mages adhere to ancient forms of social interaction. The traditional master-apprentice relationship, the respect for those of higher rank, i.e. mystical attainment, and the obedience do one's better. To most mages, democracy and other forms of social egalitarianism are fads, products of the world wherein one sleeper is little different from another, at least when judged from a magical perspective. One mage can definitively demonstrate to another his superiority in the Ars Mysteriorium. So, ideas of equality are meaningless. Nonetheless, modern mages come out of the world that has struggled for centuries to establish such values. So it is little wonder that they inculcate them into the society of the waking, a society normally more concerned with ancient Atlantean customs than modern values. For the first time in ages, the orders struggle with the new ideas. To some, this is a breath of fresh air, hinting at new possibilities in a struggle long defined as nearly unwinnable. To others, it is a distraction from a mage's true purpose and another example of how sleepers can taint even the souls of the awakening or the awakened. All that aside, mages still share commonalities and customs. The most basic foundational identity a mage can claim is the path upon which he walks, the means by which he draws down the higher into the lower, or, as some mages prefer to describe it, opening the inner world to the outer world. The Paths Every mage is said to walk a path, one that leads through a supernal realm to a watchtower. This is not a liter literal or physical route, but a metaphorical road or direction for the soul. Each realm has its own metaphysical laws that favor some principles over others. These laws are presented by the arcana and their degree of power within a realm, described as ruling the principles represented 
by the arcana are manifested in their most pure forms. Common. The arcana are more powerful than in the fallen world, but not as pure as the rulers. The inferior. The arcana are still more powerful than in the fallen world, but they exert little influence over the realm. A mage beginning arcana, the magical lore he knows from his awakening and immediately studies after, tends to be the ruling arcana of his realm. Acanthus a mage who walks the path of thistle that winds through the realm of Arcadia to the watchtower of the Benargen Thorn, the Moon Silver Thorn. Sleepers know Arcadia dimly through the legends of fairies and the nymphs and triads of the plant kingdom. In Arcadia, everything is enchanted, wearing a magical glamour of intense beauty or ugliness. Things tend toward extremes. There is very little compromise in the abode of the Fae. Change is common and encouraged. Those who walk this path tend to be fickle and even eager to try new things. The ruling arcana for Arcadia are fate and time. Fairy stories from around the world reflect the timelessness of the realm as people who enter place under its influence and spend an evening often exit many years later as time is measured in the fallen world. Likewise, a promise or oath is binding and none can betray, betray it without terrible consequences. Acanthus so called enchanters are often thought of as the archetypal divine fools. They, for they seem to achieve their goals by not trying or by waiting for things to come to them. Little wonder this, with the fake arcanum on their side. But this over-reliance on luck can be to their detriment as they spurn patience and plunge into situations that are perhaps best tackled with some degree of foresight and strategy. They are the wild cards of the awakened world and both loved and hated by others for it. Mastigus, a mage who walks the path of scourging through the nightmarish labyrinth of the realm of pandemonium. 
at the center of which is the Lawrence Tower of the Iron Gauntlet. Pandemonium is also called the Realm of Nightmares, for its echoes appear to sleepers most often in their most terrible and dreaded dreams, where they fall from endless heights, never to hit the ground or run for what seems like hours, but never make any ground. Their worst fears or repressed emotions are brought forth in places touched by pandemonium to be examined and judged by strangers who mock and condemn them. Through such a gauntlet of humiliation and submission, a soul is scourged of its sins and is thus purified to reunite, cleansing or cleansed and free with the divine. This was brought to you by Franklin County Internet Gaming Society on YouTube and Facebook. Roger Hansen on Patreon, and Gaming with Infamous on Discord. Thanks for stopping by. Listen to our podcast on any of these platforms. Anchor. Breaker. Overcast. Pocket Casts. Radio Public. Spotify. Support us on Patreon. And check us out on Discord. All the links can be found in the video description below. We thank you for your participation. If you enjoyed please like, subscribe, share, make comments. We love feedback.